Hey guys, welcome to VS Energy's Energy Podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Ferry, and here with us today is Mark Sankey and Nick Taliska. In today's podcast, we'll be discussing cogeneration. So like always, I think a great starting point for this podcast is just kind of outlining what is cogeneration. And I'll give the layman's terms definition, I suppose, and let you guys get into the technical details. But in a way, the, the name speaks pretty well for itself. Uh, cogeneration. We're we're generating, I guess. Uh, what would you call it? Multiple forms of uh, energy, useful energy, at the same time w- with one process. So you could be generating hot water and electricity by running a generator on natural gas and using that water jacket heat to you know go for hot water and use the um, combustion uh, the you know the rest of the engine to make electricity connected to a generator so to me that's kind of how i see cogeneration you're just generating uh, multiple forms of useful medium if that's you know hot water and electricity um i'll let you guys take it from there to kind of get a little bit more in the details with it um i'll i'll take it from there so we're now we're talking about generating electricity not with any renewable form like wind or solar or anything like that but primarily through the burning of fossil fuels right so that inherently you have to create heat and only a portion of that heat can be converted to electricity at any one time either through a turbine or a recip engine and the balance of the heat that doesn't go to turn the prime mover i mean i'm sorry turn the generator by the prime mover is waste heat the other option is to create steam first and use that to turn a steam turbine but then we have all the uh, high pressure or lower pressure exhaust steam from the turbine that is also waste heat which in a single cycle plant would go to the condenser where it's all the waste heat that goes to condense that low pressure steam goes to the cooling tower and out to the or to the river or to whatever so the cogeneration in its rawest form is used to increase the efficiency of a generation plant to you know use the heat in other areas yeah and typically clayton i mean two-thirds of the the energy consumed by conventional power plants is lost like mark was saying and something else i've heard mark say for years is the cheapest BTU is the one you've already paid for, and that's essentially what CodeGen allows you to do is capture that heat that you're uh, generating through all the processes involved in making electricity and use that heat for a oh, a variety of things. Yeah, no, it, it makes perfect sense to me. So, yeah, like when you boil it down, I guess cogeneration is you're making electricity and hot water in, in a sense, right? Well, I would say you're you're making electricity and you're finding a useful application for the the heat that is generated through the you know combustion yeah right 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 internal friction of the system. Well, we'll go back to you know go back to when you know coal was king and oil was cheap and power plants were constructed by basically single cycle fossil fuel generation. Fuels burn in a boiler to create high pressure steam. Steam turns a turbine that turns the generator and the tail steam is usually condensed with cooling tower river or lake water. So why are most power plants uh, seated on a, either a river or a lake? It's because of the huge amount of thermal energy and condenser water is required. 
So you here's the efficiencies that you have in a single cycle generation plant. The stack loss, right? The stack is hot. Yeah. That's all usable energy. Uh, return of the steam to condensate, right? So now mm -hmm. after it goes through the turbine, we have to make it into condensate because we can't pump steam into the boiler. So we have to return that to condensate as well as all the mechanical losses. So in its, in its worst case scenario, a single, an old single cycle plant would be 30% efficient. Then you apply transmission and transformer losses and you're lucky to stay above 30%. So when we talk about cogeneration, you know, now there are many, many plants that have been constructed that are fossil fuel driven that are combined cycle. So we'll drive the first generator with a, a gas turbine, take that gas, the gas exhaust, put it into a heat recovery steam generator, make steam there, use that to drive a second turbine, so that'll basically increase our efficiency to 50% or better just, you know, by that simple cycle. But it's all driven by economics. Obviously, we want to make more usable energy with the same amount of energy input, which is what a combined cycle does. And then cogeneration takes it one step further and says we can, you know, do this at the local site where we may have a thermal host that can use the residual heat or base load and use the base heat that we're going to create during the generation process. Now, this might be a silly question, but again, I, I'm, I'm really thinking of it as like, and obviously there's different, maybe, we'll, maybe we should talk about the components and we will before I ask the question, but I think I'm just going to ask the question. Is cogeneration more beneficial in say areas where the climate is cooler than as opposed to like, say I live in Florida, what the hell am I going to do with all that hot, all that heat? If I'm using hot water per se, and I'm using a, you know, a reciprocating, a reciprocal engine to connect it to a generator. Maybe you wouldn't design that in Florida that way then, right? I don't know. I'm just, just thinking well, out loud, I suppose. No, if you, if you go back to a previous episode where we talked about the future of cooling <laughs> yeah. and absorbers then yep. especially in florida that would be a good place there you to go yeah put that waste heat but also don't discount the uh the industrial side of all this mm -hmm. you know they have uses for heat that you know you don't even comprehend sometimes and that can be on a hundred degree day they still need heat yep for some process but you're right i mean that's all really it's about is about being able to use that that excess heat in some beneficial way to make your efficiency of producing electricity on site not so awful, which is really, you know, producing electricity by itself is tough. I mean, inefficient. Yeah. And I suppose it, it all goes down to if it's uh, dedicated, like, will this always, will this system always be running? to generate electricity or is this a standby thing? Is it load shedding? So I guess it all kind of plays into the economics and the decision and everything. So, well, that's, that's exactly right. And we'll probably have to make that a future podcast is the applicability of cogen based on utility rates, rate structures, right? Uh, there are actually utilities that don't want you to have cogeneration. And if you do put in cogeneration, uh, they charge you a standby rate for the electricity, so that if your cogen is down for service, you pay a, you know, a punitive rate for the 
electricity that you have to buy during that outage, whether it's unscheduled or scheduled, which, you know, that they, you know, we used to call it the rate, the cogen fighter rate, which would just make it almost economically unviable to put in cogen. But, you know, also to your earlier question, it's imperative, and maybe we'll talk about this a little more later, that during the development process, you absolutely see reality as it is, not as you want it to, you want it to be, because a little bit of over-optimism or overzealousness during the development process really can bite you in the behind during the operation phase. So if you're optimistic on the production capacity of your thermal generator, if you're optimistic on the performance of your uh, thermal load, if you're optimistic on the longevity or interval between maintenance on a prime mover, you need to do some sensitivity analysis to say, okay, what are the odds of a, you know, a perfect application right. and a perfect installation? Because if one of those things goes sideways, that cogen system is no longer economically viable. And these are not small investments. Yeah, I can agree with that. So um, speaking of the system, then I guess we'll, we'll bring it back. Like just there's there, again, the systems I, as I understand it can be completely different and still be cogen, but break down some of the, the common system components for me, I guess, in a cogen plant system, whatever you want to call it. And I know we talked about these already, but you know, just list them out. Uh, engines, generators, uh, synchronizers, heat recovery, steam generators, boilers, absorption chillers, organic rank and cycle generators. Yeah. Um, there's, so there's a lot that can be part of it. Yeah. Right. Yep. The, there's a project over in central Ohio that has uh, enormous compressed air requirement and they have um, three, they're probably about 1200 horsepower Caterpillar engines producing compressed air continuously and pulling hot water off of them. So is that cogeneration? Yeah, uh, maybe. It. Tech, you know, no tech. electricity involved. Yeah, but you're generating m- multiple right. <laughs> sources of energy, I guess, in one right. cycle. To me, yep. that's cogeneration, you know. That's and that's an interesting thing to talk about too. I was going to I was going to bring that up. You know, again, when I think of cogeneration, the the concept of like and you you put redundancy in, I get that, and it's a lot of money and it, it requires a lot of maintenance, but utilizing a reciprocal engine as my my prime mover for this whole process is like it's just scary to me because I just I know too they break they require so much maintenance I mean well uh, but I get I the, the value in it too I would agree with you but you know there's you have to look at it the other side reciprocating engines have been used forever in maritime applications that's true so whether they're steam or whether they're diesel. Yep. So those engines are de- designed, and actually uh, many years ago, my dad bought a used Cooper Bessemer motor engine from the Navy, had it shipped to a, his municipality in Fort Valley, and used it as a uh, peak shaving generator for their municipal power. So what do you think the operating RPM was of that Cooper Bessemer that had 33-inch pistons in it, 33? Uh- I'm going to say like 400 RPM. 900. Yeah. <laughs> it was 900 RPMs. Yeah. Oh. So, and that would be an appropriate application. Now, when you say, okay, 
I'm going to use a, a gas engine, a natural gas or gasoline um, mm-hmm. engine that has to run it. Pick a number to produce, you know, peak power, 3,500, 3,700 RPM. Yeah. Um, significantly more mm-hmm. revolutions. Yep. And the interval between maintenance must be uh, commensurately shorter. So I, I think, you know, it all comes down to appropriate design. That makes sense to me. I, I mean, yeah. yeah you're, you're, when you think about 900 RPM compared to 3,000, I guess I, I, my mind just always goes to like, I have this yeah, engine just screaming all day trying to keep up with demand to do what just it has to, make to do. Electricity, yeah. Yeah. yeah and right. and it's not always it's not that case when it's done, I guess if you want to call it correctly or not. Right. So all right. right. Yeah. Good. Well I'm, I'm glad we yeah. dove into that and kind of broke that out for for our listeners. Yeah. If you ever if you ever watch a steam engine or a low RPM engine run, I mean you can count the compression strokes. I mean it's that slow. So I wouldn't I wouldn't hesitate in a appropriate application you know there are lots and lots and lots of caterpillar engines out there that are uh spark ignited uh natural gas engines all over yeah especially in our part of the country that yep. are running compressor sta- gas compressor stations 24 mm-hmm. 7 and they just run yeah that's what they're designed for yep yeah i guess when they're the proper application quality materials you know i guess it's, it's less of a, a concern <laughs> And rigorous maintenance. Oh, yeah, yeah. Rigorous. I mean, there's got to be a full-time maintenance staff just, you know. Right. Keeping these things going. So, all things you have to consider, though, in co-generation. I mean, on the surface, it's great, but, like, there's a lot of maintenance. That's all, to me, involved costs. And um, a little bit further down in the podcast, I'll ask the question, and hopefully you guys will be able to answer it. But, um as a, as a facility, uh, say I'm interested, I don't know how this necessarily works. Maybe they, there's a facility is built, this is planned with it, but I assume there's points in time where, uh, there's an existing facility that for whatever reason decides they may be interested in cogeneration, right? Um, what are some, would you consider requirements to cons- you know, for a facility to have, Cogen. Uh, are you talking about from an economic perspective, operation perspective? Yeah, I guess. Well, I, I mean, I guess we the list could go on and on. I take it, but you know, it, at a high level, like somebody, you know, a plant comes to you and says, "We're interested in cogen." And you, you say, "Okay, well, do you you need this, this, and this, or your demand has to be this." I don't know. Just some some things that you would take into account before saying this is something worth considering for you. Well, I think the first thing is you need to look at is the requirement for thermal energy on a near continuous basis. And I don't care whether it's heating or cooling. Yep. So we talked about absorbers and we yep. can certainly cool year round, but you also need to know that, okay, that absorber on its best day will be 12%, 14% efficient. Yeah. yeah. So, but if you have to provide cooling anyway, mm-hmm. it makes sense. But you know, any place that has a seasonal thermal load, probably not a great location for cogen. Right. Uh, unless you have the opportunity to switch it between uh, using a heat recovery steam generator 
during the, the summer and then be able to use that heat for the thermal load during the winter. And it's all about balancing and, and directing that thermal energy to a place where it provides economic value on a near continuous basis. You know, there's a plant up in Oswego, New York, that's a uh, combined cycle power plant that has a thermal host across the road from it. Uh, so they sell their thermal energy to a uh, corrugated box manufacturer. Oh, that makes sense. Great. That's, that's you know, awesome. That, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, these are not small projects and they, but, you know, that kind of thinking outside the box, no pun intended, really, it's, a, it's one of those things that helps everybody. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny when you picture like a city or something, you know, you can definitely see the application of these you know, larger, like you said, utility grade cogen systems, Mark, we were talking about, you have a use for the, the heat or the thermal load someplace, but then right. you, know, so you always, I think back to, so like the first district heating, that was, you know, like Roman times, right? Weren't they sending hot water down through channels into bathhouses and pools? I would believe that. I mean, I would completely believe that. Yeah, I would believe it. I'll take your yeah. word for it. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you think about kind of, you know, electricity in this country, at least, and starting off with kind of smaller powerhouses, and then they kind of figure about, you know, distributing this and electrifying everything and so then you get into the cities and the district heating and everything. So it's a, when you look at that and then you see the diversity of the needs that you would have, you can kind of understand a cogen operating at a utility level. But then you're right, as we're talking, that I think back to, you know, I know schools that have cogens. Really? Right. You know, and I'm, and yeah. I'm thinking back to, and these are years ago I was involved in them, but I believe the major heat sink in the summertime were their pools. Right. <laughs> but they still had very large uh, dump radiators, as we called them. And, yeah, and I remember cool. that can really affect the economics of it. You know, like Mark said, if you're not, and if that, that, that use of that waste heat goes away and you're left with a cogen, you know, box, essentially a packaged unit or something, right. on your site, then the economics quickly go out the window. But, you know, too bad because you already have the system. But there are plenty of cases where, you know, people have, and this goes too. I worked on a, you know, when I was in college still, I was like a field engineer for a utility, you know, way up north in New York. And that's what we did all summer is we built a, a natural gas pipeline to go to this big utility cogen. And from what I heard, you know, whatever happened with regulatory and, you know, they, they, they never operated this plant. They were paid to not run it. And, and from the story I heard, they kind of knew it all along getting into it, that this would never eventually be run. So there is a lot of in, yeah, maybe that gets into some topics we'll talk about later with this, but I mean, you have the technical aspects of this. And then like we touched upon early, the regulatory, you know, and the utility regulations that can change on this, put a lot of cogen systems on the back burner you know, at least 15 years ago, as I remember, because it didn't pay, you know, it changed the economics that much. That's right. And, and Nick, to your point, you know, I've seen projects that went all the way and never as far as you did where they're building the pipeline, but certainly where they were applying for permits, had engineer drawings, et cetera. And all it is, is a, a poker game, you know, and yeah, it was a gambit. Sure. Yeah. Who's going to, who's going to blink first? Well, 
uh, you know, sometimes you have to push it right to the edge. Help, help me wrap my, my head around this concept fully. Um, you guys are saying like a facility says we're, we're going to do cogen because it's going to be cheaper for us than paying the utility. But then the utility says, what if we gave you a better rate? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. The utility yeah. company will come in at the, you know, near last minute and say, if you don't run this and you promise you never run it, uh, we'll provide electricity at this rate. Is that because yeah. the utility note, like, well, a lose that revenue and then B probably have to pay for some generated electricity if it's, if there's excess or that depends. Yeah. That depends where you're at, but yes, they'll lose the revenue. The, the revenue is a big driver. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We were, yeah, which a, makes sense. I mean, we were on a, a paper mill site a few years ago where they had a 30 meg steam turbine, but they vented just, I, I mean, not even, I'm talking about vented 600 pounds steam continuously. Mm. We said, we need to capture that and put in a, a, a twin to this 30 megawatt plant. And, uh, they said, we can't contractually, we cannot because we are 87% of the utility company's connected load. Wow. <laughs> so if wow. we put in another 30 megawatt plant, uh, we'll only be whatever it is, 50% of the connected load and the rate payers, the balance of the rate payers in the community will end up eating the cost of, you know, the fixed cost wow. of the utility structure. Yep. That's crazy. So then I think a lot of the utilities, uh, and again, Mark, correct me if I'm wrong, but then, you know, tariffs started changing and they would add, what do they call them? Stranded charges and things. Yep. You know, they, built these, they built these assets to serve, you know, these users. And so it was their position. You take away that load. Well, that's fine. You don't have to pay for the KWH, but we built part of this plant for you, you know, school district, hospital, mm-hmm. military base. So you're still going to get charged, you know, half of what your power demand used to be. So how does that work for your co-gen now? <laughs> you know, well, so. you're right, Nick. Absolutely right. But, you know, I think we've uh, gone to the point now where we're no longer or not, not as highly uh, production constrained, but much more grid constrained. Yes. Uh, transmission and distribution. So what happens is now it may not necessarily be a great idea from, oh, they get lost revenue, but at the same time, it loosens up the constraint on the power grid for other users. Yeah, I was just going to kind of dive into that. I know we're talking about, um, you know, the the one far end of the spectrum, but on the other end of that spectrum, cogen's probably mutually beneficial. Like you said, I mean, if if I have a facility or a plant that was designed for X amount of load and this plant grew and required a, a lot more load and the utility didn't have the infrastructure in place to, you know, provide for it. And they put in a cogen plant. It's probably good for everybody or it could be. Yeah, it could be. Absolutely. So, and before we get into that, so then just on the site side, so I know we talked about a constant thermal load, but I think the first thing to look at, would be, you know, how much are they paying for electricity? Yes, yes. That's a huge yeah. part. If you're not paying much for it, then why do are, it? are there any good reasons, Mark, yeah. to look into Cogen? I, mean, I, I can't think of one project Whoa. I've been involved in that they paid really low electric yeah. rates and decided to put in a Cogen. Yeah. No, <laughs> it, it doesn't happen. Unless I your mean, gas rates are way cheaper still. I don't know. 
but well and that's what it is really it's not just the electric rates but it's the differential between gas and uh electric rates you know and, and gas rates are as low as the, they've been in i don't know how long and for the foreseeable future they will probably remain so unless regulations you know impact them uh and, and you know and there's punitive uh, natural gas rates but you're you're right if there's not an uh, an economic advantage to the cogen that would be driven by the electric rates then you don't do it yeah nope i would agree with that cuz one of my topics of discussion was going to be and i, I kind of knew the answer but i just wanted to voice it on the podcast for everybody is like why not just put in uh, mag bearing chillers and condensing boilers and keep you know my electric rates reasonable we're really efficient life is good which is always an option obviously so something to consider i take it when you have the cogen discussion well i would say even beyond that that almost always and i actually there's a white paper that i published that was really uh detailed regarding the investment uh opportunities for conservation versus generation mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. conservation wins hands down every single time because in general conservation opportunities are lower maintenance it's the it's the maintenance and operations costs that eat up cogen you know in general yeah 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 you know cogen is pretty thin you know when i say pretty thin you're not going to get a 3 year payback on a cogen plant in general whereas on many many conservation projects you can get 3 4 5 years on some pretty good projects so it, it's always important before you start thinking i need to get a cogen plant that you've tightened your belt by doing the on site conservation projects to reduce your connected load yeah that makes sense and then even then you could yeah consider cogen if you've done everything you can to conserve but you don't want to be putting in a cogen plant to provide hot water and electricity for wasted energy basically right but it's an attractive option and i think a lot of people get lured into that one because it's hard work i mean we're we're talking about conservation work is you know typically the the lowest cost the lowest mm -hmm. maintenance responsibility long sustainability to it but it's it's difficult to maybe get your head around you know looking at your 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 hospital system let's say and figuring out everything we need to do to trim things down as right. opposed to we've got a nice site over there people have always been talking about a cogen it'd be nice to yeah. have a little kind of package plant that did everything yep. but yep. you know there are a lot of uh a lot of variables in the equation. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, Nick, I know you touched on this earlier, but like, what types of generally, what types of facilities would be interested in cogen? Uh, I mean, mostly in my experience, it's been hospitals and mm -hmm. military bases. Yeah, and uh, like I said, a few schools early on, but I don't really, you know, I ought to check back and see how they're going. Some, some. Well, I, I don't know. Later. I got to say schools aren't too much large consumers. I mean, no, and these were tiny yeah, systems yeah. compared to, I mean, in some of the projects for the, the military, you know, there's a lot that are, you know, on the low end, 500, you know, KW machines that are put in, but then, you know, other ones that are on the eight, 10 megawatt scale, 
and those are obviously then you're you know tied in with a lot of other systems too in complexity mm -hmm. and uh yeah that's like mark was saying the industrials get larger and larger predominantly because of what nick said is there's a thermal host either an internal system or external systems that they can supply thermal energy for whether it's you know you find it a lot in food processing where they're Huge. Uh, cooking where they're where they're <coughs> pressurizing pulp and paper where they have you know multiple sources of fuel um, uh, gypsum manufacturing that just those kinds of plants the the size of the cogens uh, go up pretty dramatically so I have two questions then and <laughs> Nick you're, you're you're doing great you're covering a lot of stuff I think I want to ask <laughs> but like uh, Matt, so you 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 pretty well cover this, but like the, the range of magnitude of, of cogen plants said you can go from the, um, give me, give me your, what you kind of see as your range. I mean, you see megawatts versus many, many megawatts versus how small do they go? Boy, I mean, I don't know the smallest one, but I would think 300 KW has been on the smallest side. Yeah. I've seen for a, uh, and this was a uh, government building out in California, must have been GSA building. And, uh, but then the larger ones, like I said, the 7.9 megawatt ones are, you know, military based on, based on the East coast. And, you know, it's a huge part of what they do with without a doubt, it has a big impact on it and very complicated. But, uh, as far as the largest size, then you probably next experience was with the utility grade. And I have no idea how big those can get, but, uh, yeah, I mean the package units, and like, and same thing with the, the compressed air, you know. And I have experience with some of those projects too, but it's the same neat little kind of package that comes in to make compressed air and recover all that heat. But as far as sizing, I don't know, Mark, have you seen more modular ones stacked together for independent site cogeneration systems? I think uh, I have, and uh, it wasn't good. It was not a pleasant uh, experience when we got involved. Basically, you know, everything looks good when you're in the dating phase, the honeymoon phase. But as soon as we get past the uh, 8,000 hours on a 3,000 RPM motor, that's when it, things go, go sideways in a big way. And in those cases, you know, where you have a, a row of recip engines with half of them have the cylinder heads off, the other half have oil pans underneath them um, and the the maintenance crew is you know basically they want to get the sawzall and torches out and get these things out of here that's not good so that you know the small packages and a continuous duty application have been less desirable than you know a scaled up prime mover that can provide the entire load it seems good it seems like a good idea on paper, but maybe not as uh, as useful. And then when you get to the larger plants, you know, there was a plant in Pembroke, New York, that was a 50 megawatt plant, really nice. Uh, and, you know, there were full-time maintenance and a, and a real control room where basically they were monitoring everything about that turbine and the heat recovery steam generator on a continuous basis and treated it like, like it was you know, worth the investment that they paid for it and things plant, ran sure. for a long time. Yeah. It's a power plant. So it, yeah, 
guess it kind of goes back to your point of maintenance. It's all very maintenance driven to be successful or not in a way too. That's a huge factor in it. Now I did read some about, so Europe seems to be, have a heavy installed base of cogens, right? And, and I think there's a, there's a variety of factors there. So, I, but I didn't really break it down into the types of facilities and then, you know, so if, I, I don't know if they see the same I don't know, type application. So here, and I don't even know this, but Mark, would you say most on-site cogen systems are for industrial? Or would well, one be I, I think right now they are, uh, and maybe the, the mix is starting to move a little bit more to, towards commercial buildings. But I also think you see a lot in uh, large campus applications, universities. Um, you know, there's a, that's a good application in general because you have, a, you know, there are many, many universities that have cogens that have heat recovery steam generators or heat recovery, just heat exchangers and absorbers and can maintain the operation of that plant at a high level and, you know, really get some good efficiencies out of it. But they have a diversity of load so that they can basically keep the thing running at a uh, efficient level year round. I, I think you'll, you know, you'll continue to see us follow a European, us meaning the U.S., follow the European model simply because of our grid constraints. Distributed generation, whether it's cogeneration or point of use generation, uh, you know, a standard point of use generation makes more and more sense as you're grid constrained. And it's more and more difficult to get transmission lines through the places you need to you need to get power to. So I the European model's always been a you know source of argument or debate here in the US. And why is it good? Well, because um, utility companies are not incentivized any longer since they're no longer public entities to install transmission lines, just to go out willy nilly and say, we'll put in a transmission line and somebody will buy this stuff sooner or later. The European model is more like we need electricity. We'll make our own. Yeah. And, and plus I think uh, the government pays for like 40% of projects like that over there. So it's kind right. of like some of our States, uh, I don't know, state aid, of the past where it kind of made any project you want to do seem to make economic sense. Right. But I do think it's very interesting to see the flip over the last couple of decades. Uh, it seems that utilities were fighting these types of systems being installed, but now like you were saying, they really kind of need them, you know, cause of the grid pressure and right. Yeah. It, it's a, just a kind of a, a fascinating dynamic to watch play out. I think I'm going to, get a little cogen you know packaged plant and a uh, absorption chiller put it at my house and i'll be good to well, go just wait for the buyout from the utility to say yeah hey, please don't run that we'll pay you yeah yeah i think i'm gonna i'm gonna go right down to town hall and say i'm gonna put a you know a little cogen plant in and they're gonna buy me out it's a good plan and if they don't i'm set i'm gonna have my absorber and my cogen plant and life will be good so you talk about that, but I actually did all the economics for, so I used to have a wood boiler when yeah. I was a little younger and could cut you know, enough wood to heat my house. I thought I'll get a Rankin cycle generator yeah. and run that thing all year. Well, I would have needed two wood boilers because the efficiency is yeah, so yeah. low of that Rankin cycle generator. <laughs> and 
uh, it would have been about a 27 year payback and I won't live that long. So ah, damn it. it. And you'd probably have to have pay someone a full time to be cutting and splitting and chucking wood into your That's boiler. Right. <laughs> yep. But, but going back to the utility interaction, I mean, think about the demand response programs now that are coming into place in many, many grid constrained areas where they will actually pay for the use of your emergency emergency generator to operate as a basically distributed generation machine. So, you know, not only is the, are we moving that way, we're embracing it and actively looking at creative ways to help reduce the strain on, uh, you know, highly uh, loaded power grids. You know, you're absolutely right, Mark. It's not so much just lessening the load on the utility, but it's a way to give the utility like you said, a, a distributed asset that one is not necessarily on their books and they don't have to maintain, but because you're right, I am seeing a lot of that interaction between the utilities saying, Hey, you know, can you curtail now or forcing them right. to curtail? And there's that relationship between the two, the end user and the provider. And the goal is, I mean, especially in a lot of these places we're talking about industrials, military, even universities, you know, downtime is very expensive, more so for military is absolutely inexcusable and they don't tolerate that. But uh, same with hospitals. Right. When you say downtime, what do you down equipment downtime or like power outage or power outage? And yeah, exactly. And I guess the reliability of their own yeah. infrastructure and the flexibility to do that. And that's another yeah. thing the now the the cogeneration systems can give some flu, uh, fuel flexibility as well. Oh you know, yeah, site end so. Yep. Now that I makes makes sense to me. <laughs> I think this is a great conversation, guys. I think we covered we're covering a lot, and we covered a lot in this episode. What do we think? Where do where do you want to take it? I, I well, I think. We, we definitely need to at least uh, let people know that we understand the difference between the cycles, right? So a uh, topping cycle produces electricity first, recovers thermal energy for secondary use. Right? Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, yeah, it's talking yeah. about you can so, operate these differently. Co- cogen is not, yeah. Well, it, it's actually designed differently. So the topping cycle, first thing we plan to do is put a, put a generator in, run it flat out, producing electricity, yep. whatever thermal energy is available, that's our secondary use. Yep. That's how I cycle, always understand it. Yeah. So that would, let, let's just use the example of a steam, uh, I'm sorry, a gas turbine. Yeah. So that gas turbine's job is to turn a generator. Mm-hmm. And then if we can recover the thermal energy for another use, whether it's in a drying oven, whether it's in a heat recovery mm-hmm. steam generator, generator, great. The bottoming cycle, on the other hand, produces heat. So mm-hmm. that might be a boiler first, right? And the secondary thermal energy, that might be a standby turbine, is used in electric generation. Or, you know, that A device, uh, you know, a, a waste boiler at a um, pulp and paper mill produces heat and thermal energy is recovered, you know, to put into a, a turbine. So, those are the two cycles and then a combined cycle has two electric generation cycles gas turbine turns the electric generator turbine exhaust provides heat for heat recovery steam generator which produces 
uh, steam for turning steam turbines. So there will be uh, two sets of turbines, one natural gas driven, one steam driven uh, in that combined cycle plant. So in general, you know, uh, a single cycle plant, like we talked about, is 30% efficient. Right. So whatever we do, whether, you know, it's, it's making another cycle, a combined cycle out of it, or finding a source of, uh, or, or a load for that waste heat, all those are, are for us to improve the efficiency. Now, I would assume that you, your selection of cycle is very facility dependent, right? What is, what is the primary need? if it's hot water or electricity. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And that's kind of where that gets. Cause I assume if you break down like the efficiencies of each one there, I don't know, is one more, is one cycle more efficient than the other? Probably not technically, no. but yeah. Nope. So it's all just depend facility dependent on what, what is our primary need and what do we want to use with, if you want to call it the leftover, <laughs> I don't know. Right. The residual yeah. heat. Yep. That's a big part of it because do you sell your ex or can you sell your excess electricity if you're generating to meet your thermal load? Yep. Or vice versa. Is there yep. a place to use that besides just dumping it to the outside? Yep. So those are the places where you kind of sometimes do have to look across the street. So th- I'm glad you brought it up because I don't know if I want to consider this my parting question or not, but how does that work? Like if if I'm a facility and I and I say I'm and my neighbor needs hot water, whatever. How do you, like, how does that work? You agree on a price, sign a contract per, you know, I don't know. Like how, you can just do that. I mean, it's yours, so you can sell well, it. Well, so mean, that, wait, wait, wait. Now, are, are we selling it to our neighbor? Yeah, or sure. Are we selling back to the grid? I would say our neighbor, our neighbor on yeah, this question. Yeah, it's a private deal. So, yeah, really? Yeah, it's a private deal. Why, why can't you? I mean, I guess, yeah, makes sense to me. It just seems, I don't know, interesting. <laughs> like, well, it's no different than facilities where you know there are central geothermal plants now for housing developments, where you know the you pay X dollars a month, and that gives you, you know, uh, geothermal <clears throat> energy based on a central plant. It just seems, so, yeah. I guess you put in all the the legal structure to it. I yep. mean, so you got to put in your own metering of some sort to say this sure. is how much you use and this is what we're billing you per whatever unit. Right. And we agree and life is good. Yep. Well, wow. it's not that different from like a district heating loop. And maybe there's some people that are near that loop that still generate their own heat, but then their equipment gets old and they say, hey, we'd like to buy some of your heat you got running under our, our buildings. Yeah, right. I just thought there'd be more like regulation in it than. Oh, well, then you're talking about what Mark's talking about with getting selling back your electricity to the grid. That's well, like- no, that, that's different. I get that. But yeah, just the concept of like, I can well, really sell energy to my neighbor. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so, well, let's just talk about that though, because there, you know, there's FERC, the Federal Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, and there's PERPA. So, if you want to be a co-generator, uh, you have to be a PERPA qualifying facility. So, you have to go through all that, you know, uh, rigmarole also. But you can't sell electricity to your neighbor without putting it basically on the distribution uh, grid. Okay. Yeah. 
so we're we're only talking about selling thermal energy. Thermal, yes, yes. Okay. And that was All kind right. of where my question was geared more, okay. not electricity, just thermal yeah. energy. Okay. But yeah, it's just interesting to me. I mean, I think it's awesome, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very interesting concept. So yep. cool. I think this is a great discussion, guys. Anything else we want to add into this before we wrap it up? Well, I I think you know. I'm an energy conservation guy from, you know, almost the time I was uh, in high school. What I've seen, you know, over 35 years in the business is a predisposition of um, project developers to try and blacksmith what they have into every application. And of all the things, you know, Cogen is a little bit like BMS or, or some of the other complex systems. Every system is different. And it's imperative that the project developers recognize that, do the homework, collect the data to understand the real performance of a system uh, versus, hey, you know, we do these all over the place. This will work in your building. And we've heard that a hundred times where, you know, we hear the pitch, we sit in on the pitch, and then you look at the data and it doesn't support the assertion or or the um Proformas that are being put forward. Yeah, well, you probably heard it a hundred times and see it fail ninety-five times, right? We don't usually get called unless there's a failure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So due diligence up front. Uh, there's more than one project I'm I'm aware of where they didn't really understand the that that cooling, uh, the cooling need for the absorber, and thought it was a year-round thing. And I, I, you know, I don't really know how you can make that mistake, to be honest with you, and get that far. Uh, it, the load wasn't what they thought, and it can completely blew the project. So that's a very complicated position to be in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so Nick, we were in a project not long ago. So Esco installed a one meg cogen plant, had two Waukesha recips for continuous duty. Waste heat pipe was piped outdoors to an absorption chiller with insulated Victaulic pipe. So the water entering the absorber was basically below 180 degrees. The absorber efficiency goes down the tubes when the thermal heat quality drops, the, you know, the absorber can't drive water out of the desiccant without concentrated desiccant, absorber can't work. So solution was raise the hot water temperature leaving the recips to 200. First thing that happens, the Victaulic pipe starts breaking, blowing apart, oh. blowing the gaskets out. Okay, what's the solution? I know, we'll, we'll take the gaskets out, weld the Victaulic pipe together on the rubber membrane roof. We're going to do the welding. Raise the leaving water temperature higher from the Waukesha engines. They had to appreciate that, yeah. Well, like any recip motor, excess heat is the enemy. And the little steam bubbles that form on the exterior cylinder walls get larger and larger, become insulators, driving up the interior wall temperatures, causing lubrication failure, an eventual grandiose catastrophic failure. Hence the abandoning and removal of the system in its entirety. Now, was that clearly a, a cogen only issue or it sounds more of possibly a, a designer installation issue with the absorber? Like, would, would, I, and I guess my question, would you have the same problem if that was a boiler feeding it? The whole thing, cogen, the absorbers, everything was installed by the same ESCO. 
Okay, but if you had a boiler on the in place of the cogen providing that heat source. Oh, sure, you could do that, but that kind of defeats. The, then you can't run the cogen during the summer with any economic viability. Well, no, no, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So you're just kind of saying this is this was doomed for failure from the start. Oh yeah. Yeah. Wow, and that's a case where they totally abandon it. Yeah. Ripped it out. Okay. Yeah, and that's a big part. I mean, and and the other things. Well, we kinda... the Waukesha's took such a, a monumental crash that the cost of repair was prohibitive, and they just said, you know, here we are in year X, we're out. Well, and that's a huge consideration. We touched upon the maintenance of these systems, right? And it's it's not just the the genset, but I mean, it's there's a lot of other parts in here that can go wrong. And so some things I've seen is a part that you didn't expect to go wrong, failed. And for some reason they needed to source it from Germany because it was part of the system. And it was, you know, two to three weeks of downtime waiting for a very minor, you would think type of yep. uh, component to oh. it, but just wasn't planned for it. and downtime you know, so especially in these performance contracts where it's, you know, it's big dollar savings when you're putting it in a cogen and, and downtime, I mean, it's really critical to manage that. And there's very detailed schedules Mark touched upon and maintenance requirements. And, uh, you know, you could have things just for an inspection. You could be down for, you know, a day and a half and you got oil change and all that kind of stuff. So that is a big issue. And then from a lot of the projects I've seen in California with the air quality uh, management district and that type of stuff, that's uh, very another cost that obviously if you're out there, you're, you're well aware of, but uh, things can get pretty difficult when it comes down to emissions on these things. Well, I was, I was I, yeah, I agree completely, especially if you're starting out now. I mean, I got to imagine just the emission stuff attached to the generator nowadays is well it's like you're probably your modern autom automobile ridiculous i mean yep it's not like you're slapping in your your v8 uh whatever you know right <laughs> so so you know <clears throat> my question to you guys is you know i'm the oldest guy on the podcast what do you think the likelihood is that cogeneration as it, it's been traditionally um, design, et cetera, for, you know, smaller facilities, et cetera, gets replaced by solar or wind with batteries as battery technology improves. Mm. Oh, that gets me into like a whole different topic of discussion because on the <laughs> surface, on the surface, it looks great. To, I mean, there we go. <laughs> I agree. You can, on the surface, absolutely. Why would we not? But you you get into a lot of logistical problems, you know, 10 years down the road, I don't know, five years, 20 years. What do you do with the batteries? That's right. What happens? I mean, a wind turbine requires a lot of maintenance too. Solar panels require maintenance too. I mean, ah, you know, that's a, that's a tough one. Well, especially you start to look at larger size cogens, yeah. 10 watts and up. And the amount of thermal energy that you can recover or generate is not, you know, it would take some unrealistic size. I'm, I'm thinking, though, for, you know, one megawatt and less, 
Probably, I could see that you know, happening. Maybe there's there's more options there. Yeah, there's there's always the economy of scale, I guess you would call it. So yeah, at some point you say, well, why don't we just put in a wind turbine or solar panels on our roof, right? As opposed That's- to Interesting. I'm sorry, but you talk about economies of scale, and I think it's interesting to kind of look at from the 30s and 40s how we've gone from these small powerhouses to these giant utilities, right? And we did that economies of scale and these massive assets that have a a wide distribution, and now we're kind of looking more of with so many things, you know, like distribution is good. It's you know, allows for problems to happen and I'll still absorb things and continue functioning. So I do see obviously more of the distributed power generation being a bigger part of our utility consumption. It's going to come in many different forms, but yeah, I don't think you can really compare cogeneration to or combine heat and power to, you know, wind power at this point or solar photovoltaics. So don't forget, Nick, that this podcast will live forever. So at some point, 20 years from now, somebody will listen to this and say, this guy was wrong. Yeah. I stand by all my predictions. I Absorption cooling is the future. You know, <laughs> I could see as a, at a residential level, you know, on that little micro whatever, like houses will be fully they could be net zero with solar and whatever you know generating their own electricity but that just the technology right now isn't there to scale that up to the megawatt level at a consistent reliable basis beautiful part too about all of this i just read an article the other day about did they discover a new bacteria something like that that emits electricity as part of its you know its process its waste is some kind of charge so i think that's awesome a lot of things, really you know, down the road who knows what's you know hey, i'm put me on the record of the podcast nuclear is the future that's 20 years from now when they listen to me they're like that guy was right 30 years whatever so yeah, I, I, you know, I'd be, I wouldn't be opposed to that. I think there's a lot of merit to that, obviously. So we got nuclear uh, absorbers and yeah, generation. There it is, and wind and solar, of course. But, yeah, I got to be careful what I say on the podcast. I don't think you do. <laughs> I think it's a wind and solar. They're a stopgap. I think it's a fad. Whoa, that came out of nowhere. Bad. <laughs> yep. There is 20 years from now, Clayton, you'll still be alive. I'm telling you, there's going to the be business. Yep. <laughs> be careful. That'll be the albatross around your neck. Be careful. There's going to be, that. there's better technology on the horizon. Okay. Hear me out on it. Okay. It's a stopgap, at least for now. It's same, same as nuclear. I mean, I think nuclear is a stopgap. There's something better. I want to know what you're working on in your garage. <laughs> I guess oh, man. You like you know space elevators and harvesting energy from the the cosmos i just you know i don't know oh There's man just... well I, and i think the lesson is too because things i mean you you put in a major plant or something and, and you're talking about a pretty long life cycle at least you have planned for but 
you know, I think the important thing and just like everything you do is to kind of stay flexible or yeah. at least be in a position to be able to think or entertain the possibility of a new technology or system. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's well, great. I mean, chillers are a great application. Magnetic levitation bearings come out and chillers and, you know, you don't have to redesign all your, your piping and your whole system there. They fit in with what you have going on already, you know, more or less. Well, you talked about that, Nick, that you had all these dis- little distributed power plants in the 40s and 50s. We did a project up in Rochester where their thermal uh, energy for the downtown district is uh, the old Rochester gas and electric uh, steam plant. Hmm. Uh, well, a generation plant. And at that time, well, hey, we have leftover steam. We'll pipe it out to these buildings. Well, at that point, you know, steam was basically a byproduct. So nobody ever collected up the condensate. It was all now we have a central heating plant that's a once through system. And then a few years ago, four or five years ago, they basically dug up major parts of downtown and put in condensate return to improve the efficiency of that plant. And it's a it's a co-op. So all of the members who purchase steam own the plant mm. and uh, they decided to, you know, fund that uh, and move forward to make the plant more efficient. And, you know, but what, what you're saying is exactly true. This is stuff that was installed in the thirties, forties, maybe even the twenties that is still operation. All the distributions operational functional and it's, it's still being used, but with newer technology, newer and more efficient technology. That's interesting that they just got around to doing that, like within the last five years, you said, to condensate return. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, once through systems. Wow, that's kind of like the first thing we'd always look for in a building sometimes. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Tells you a lot. The low-hanging fruit. Yep. Mm. Well, I think this is a great conversation, guys. I think we'll wrap it up here. Um, Hopefully, for our listeners, they learned something about CoGen. There's a lot to it. There's a lot more we could talk about. Um, probably could merit another discussion, another episode, honestly. Maybe we have to do one on renewable energy too. <laughs> so We should well, definitely plan on revisiting your prediction, predictions at least 10 years from now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you. solar fad. It's a fad. <laughs> <laughs> but uh. with that being said, guys, uh, for our listeners, stay tuned. Our next discussion will actually uh, be heat recovery projects. So that'll be a fun discussion as well. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. So thanks for yeah. tuning in, everybody. Uh, if you want more information on us, check out our websites, www.vsenergy.us or www.appliedfacilitiescience.com. So a whole lot of information about us out there on the internet. Uh, we have Facebook, LinkedIn as well, VS Energy. So check us out. Thanks a lot. Thanks to you, Mark and Nick, and uh, have a great day to our listeners.